All right, we're gonna transition into the Lectio, and there should be a handout on each table, but the passage is, the first verse is Matthew 5, 9, and then our passage is in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. So I'll be reading at three different times, and we'll be thinking about three different questions as I read through. So with this first reading, I just want you to think about a word or a phrase that jumps out to you. It maybe seems louder than the rest. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. again. This time I want you to think about engaging your emotions as I read it. So as you hear these verses, what comfort or resistance do you feel when you hear this passage? Are there things that you've been asking for, seeking, or knocking on a door for? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. more time. And this time I just want you to be thinking about what Jesus might be inviting you into and what you notice today as you ponder this passage. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, let's get started. Uh, I know I've said my name now three times, but I'm Elizabeth Melvin, and it's great to be with y'all this morning. Um, I have been at Hope for about 10 years, and I'm on the women's shepherding team at Cotswold. My husband and I, Parker, have been almost married nine years. We have three little girls. They are six, four, and six months, and my two older ones are having fun with their baby doll, little sister. Um, and before staying home with all three of them, I was an elementary school teacher, both in Dallas, Texas. There is a Dallas, North Carolina, but Dallas, Texas, and um, here in Charlotte before staying home. And this study has just been such a gift to me, and I know from talking to so many of y'all, you feel the same way. Just the chance to really sit in these passages. I don't think that I've really done that with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, thinking about last year, speaking about all the women Jesus interacted with, it's just such a gift to actually slow down and sit in these passages. Um, something y'all might have picked up on when I was reading the Lectio, both of our passages talk about being children of God. And for those of you who grew up in the church, that's something you've heard since you were little. Jesus loves me. The song that you might know talks about little ones to him belong, and that's straight from Scripture. Psalm 100 talks about how we are his. Um, if you're newer to faith or newer to church, you might be wondering, what does that mean? How am I to be a child? And I'm really hoping to shed some light on that today. Um, and as we ponder these verses, I'm just really hoping that even though we're all grown up, we're all so sophisticated and have to have our act together that we can just remember what it's like to be a child and to sit in his presence, that we can be children at heart, that we still want to be parented, even though we're adults now, and that God actually wants it that way. Uh, so we're going to start by talking about being a peacemaker. And just right out of the gates, when you hear the word peacemaker, it might make you think about conflict. So how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you would say, I hate conflict? Keep me away from conflict. So, yeah, a lot of us. Not, not into it. So many hands went up. Um, and today, I'm not trying to change your mind 
to make you suddenly love conflict. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do here. Um, conflict is hard, it's messy, it's uncomfortable. There's a relational risk a lot of times. Uh, but my hope is that we can get to what the heart of peacemaking is so that we don't write it off or avoid it. Um, so I'll start with a little story. I worked at a um, school in Dallas that was an inner city school and loved the kids I got to work with. And I got to lo- work with a lot of strong women and strong grandmothers who were raising these kids. And I had this one student who was having a little bit of a hard time and her grandmother wanted a weekly check-in. So she said, just call me either way, Wednesday, that's a day, leave a voicemail, let me know how the student's doing. And so um, there was one Wednesday that I called and she would have these great voicemails. She would change it constantly. There'd be scripture, just something she was thinking about. And so I just kind of got used to her, you know, inspiration. And um, there was one that just, I was taken aback when she said it. She, at the end of her little voicemail, she said, I'm making a lot of changes in my life. And if you don't hear back from me, you're one of those changes. <laughs> but then she, but then she, I like, thanks and have a blessed day. And I'm like, um, so she did call me back. She did call me back. I was not one of those changes. Um, but that, I think y'all, that is how a lot of us handle conflict. We're like, I'm making some changes in my life you don't really know about, but you're one of them, and I'm not going to tell you. We slowly fade, slowly don't respond to things. Uh, We slowly move on from people or situations that make us uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, we've grown apart. And I just don't think that's what God is inviting us into. He's not inviting us into conflict avoidance, y'all. That is not the end goal. And I think what that stems from is so many of us hear that verse and maybe think, blessed are the peacekeepers. And that's not actually what the verse says. Um, We abide by ideas that aren't actually even biblical. We think, don't ruffle feathers, don't make waves, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, A seeming compliment can be, you're just so calm. Things just don't get to you. And that's just not, that's not what we want to be doing here. Um, Jesus is inviting us into so much more than that. And I think for me personally, uh, I can tell, I, I, I think I end up more on the spectrum of, I feel so compelled to say something and it's like this nervous energy and I just get it out. So there's room for those of us who maybe are comfortable with conflict too. Um, I mean, it's embarrassing to think about, but I think back to high school and college and dating these boys and realizing it wasn't going as well as I thought and it was time to break up. And when I think back on these conversations, they were so short. And they were, I would come back to my roommates or my friends, and they would ask me how it went. I'd be like, oh, it went so well. They really didn't have a lot to say. Just so just clean, simple. I mean, I think it just kind of stunned them. Kind of like, it's not working. Bye. I mean, it just, so we, those of us who can tend toward a bluntness need to learn something here too. Um, so there's a quote from Sonship that I think does a great job of explaining this distinction. So I'm going to read that for us. We almost automatically assume that conflict is bad and that keeping the peace is good. It might be that peacekeeping and peacemaking are two different things. The peacekeeper is someone who tries to avoid constructive conflict by withdrawing or attacking and often ends up in deeper conflict. The peacemaker is someone who has a view of the world where she takes into account that life always involves struggle. 
Peacemaking requires a willingness to be truthful and honest and to boldly pursue others for their reconciliation with God and ourselves. However, it is vital that our own hearts be right as we engage in conflict, regardless of how or even whether the other party responds. In order to have the right heart towards others, we need to be living a lifestyle of repentance and forgiveness. Um, so in light of those truths, where do we begin? And I hope that as you heard that quote, it was kind of stirring things in you that we have heard from other people. I think of Katie's talk last week, just we need to be looking into ourselves. So I would start, if I was just thinking really simply about peacemaking, I would just really encourage you to begin in prayer and with humility, right out of the gates. Um, coming to the Lord saying, Lord, I could be way off about this. I think so often we're so sure of ourselves. Um, but just beginning with that, there's a verse in Romans that if I'm in a place of humility, I love, and if I'm not, I don't like. But Romans 2.1 says, tell, it tells us, you who judge do the same thing. And I think asking the Lord to show you how you do the exact same thing in your own life, it might look totally different. But starting in that place, of humility, starting by asking the Lord, show me the beam in my own eye, as we talked about last week. So I have a short little story of a friend that did this really well when I was in my 20s. She invited me to coffee, and you know, 20s, you're always getting coffee of time for stuff like that, and we're just catching up, and um, she just started sharing about someone leaving her out of a social situation, and I was just sitting there thinking, oh, wow, she's so vulnerable, and just sharing with me and just trying to listen um, until she told me that I actually had just done the same thing to her recently. But my response was, I was so primed to hear that because she had shared in humility. She had done exactly what I'm saying. She had thought about how you judge do the same thing. I've done that. I'm not in the judgment chair. I'm not above you. I'm right here with you, stumbling along made that same mistake, but I do need to come to you. And I'll just never forget that, that she thought doing it that way. It wasn't that buildup of her just kind of unloading on me without including herself in it. There's a verse in Proverbs, in Proverbs 27, and it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So I'll just ask you the hard question. Are you really being a friend? Are you treating your friends the way an enemy would, which is just multiplying kisses, not sharing what's real, not engaging in peacemaking? Uh, the other thing that I would encourage us to do is to move toward these situations with curiosity. I think so often we can start with inward curiosity, self-focused curiosity. Does this friend like me? Do I like them? Is this even worth the time? And that's not the curiosity the Lord invites us into. He wants us to be thinking about what is going on in that person's life, and does he want me to be a part of it? And if so, how? Um, and I think without curiosity, we head straight for judgment. Just pass go, collect $200, off to judgment we go. Um, I think of a trip that I was on with some good friends a few years back, and... There was one girl who just seemed a little more withdrawn, wasn't engaging the way the rest of us were. And I just kind of noticed it throughout the weekend. And I don't know if y'all can be like me, but I came up with this whole story in my head of 
oh, you know, her family dynamics, or oh, I think she and that friend are still working through that situation. And um, I went straight to judgment. I thought, you know, we don't get together that often. You're wasting this trip. And then I became frustrated with her, if I'm really honest. And I just didn't really know what to do with it, but it was still in my heart. And so after the trip, I called her just to check in and um, ask her kind of how she thought the trip went. And come to find out, she had been on a like nine day trip with her family leading right into our trip. She was tired, y'all. She was not struggling in that friendship or I just wish that I had been curious and not just started with my own thoughts and started with humility, started with curiosity. Um, so I think of those two words, humility and curiosity, as a great launching point for peacemaking. But I do want you to just be encouraged. It is the Lord's work. And that's where that second part of the verse, we are his children. So I think if we are coming to him with that curiosity and that humility, he will invite us when it is appropriate, when it is timely, when the Holy Spirit leads us into those peacemaking moments. Um, there's a quote by Chuck DeGroat from his book, Leaving Egypt, that I want to read to y'all. And this is why God runs us through the gauntlet of Beatitudes, to prepare our hearts for the work of peacemaking. As a therapist, I've often wondered if the blessing of becoming children of God in this Beatitude is God's way of acknowledging how much we long for the consistent, compassionate, strong love of a parent. The child of God does not have to appease God, avoid him, or work tirelessly to keep the peace. Instead, God's faithful commitment to bringing about the peace in our hearts opens up the possibility for us to relax into the arms of the faithful, attentive, emotionally available Father. That love will propel us to move into the lives of others with the same invitation to God shalom. I just love that picture. It just makes my shoulders relax. But it is not, it is not my work that's being done here. Um, and I love the last sentence that says that love will propel us to move into the lives of others with that same invitation to God shalom. And as I was preparing for this, I came across Tim Keller's definition of shalom. And that's, it, I just thought the, it was uncanny that it overlapped, but it means the state of fullest flourishing in every dimension. So going back to that same flourishing we've been talking about um, in the fall and now, it is physical, emotional, social, spiritual, just fullest flourishing. And if we think about peace that way, that is what we are being invited into in our friendships and in our relationships, is being a part of someone else's fullest flourishing. And that sounds very different than what we maybe think about or what we try to avoid. Okay, so we're going to switch now. I'm going to get a little sip of water um, and switch to ask, seek, and knock, and I'll reread it for us. Let me make sure. Okay, good. Whew, my pages are out of order. It's like, I don't have the passage to read again. Here we go. Um, all right, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, 
Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Uh, So before we dive into this passage, I want to share my icebreaker answer because I just love what it makes me think about and just the total delight it makes me feel. Um, So when I was in fifth grade, now for some of you listening, some of you here, before the days of Spotify and Napster, you had to buy a CD if you wanted to hear a song. You couldn't just pull it up on Spotify. So there was this group called Chumbawamba. Does anyone, does that ring? (laughs) Chumbawamba. Those of you who were born after 1995, you might have to look it up. But there was, they literally, I think they had one song that ever made it to the radio. If you don't know it, I'll sing a little bit. I'll embarrass myself. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You know, you know. Okay, so my sisters and I loved this song. I mean, loved this song. And collectively, the three of us begged for this CD for Christmas. Like this one $10 CD, just Chumbawamba, Dad, please. We just want Chumbawamba. And my parents were just so noncommittal. Um... I remember my parents like reviewing all the songs and the lyrics. I don't know if any of y'all remember those days of, if you're going to get this CD, we have to talk about the whole thing. And so just, we did not know. We were on the edge of our seats, kind of like, is it going to happen? And I will just never forget, Christmas morning comes, and at 6 a.m., we are blasted out of our beds by my dad, just full volume in the living room. I mean, y'all, we were crying, dancing. 30 minutes of just chumbawamba, chumbawamba, just over and over again. And I laugh. I think, you know, one year we got a puppy, we got a trampoline, but we all, if we ever start talking about Christmas, we all, we all go back like, remember the chumbawamba morning? It's just this just sweet, sweet memory in my heart. Um, so whatever your answer was, your Christmas present, your birthday present, um, I just hope that you can think of your Heavenly Father that way, that he delights in you, he desires to give you good things, He sees you. He knows what you need. He's eagerly anticipating giving it to you. Uh, So let's kind of break it down verse by verse. So we have those first two verses, seven and eight, um, where Jesus is inviting us into asking and seeking and knocking. And he uses the words ask and seek seven times. I mean, what an invitation, what an exhortation. But I think that can cause us to wonder, okay, what exactly do I have permission to ask for Do I need to think of things that are from the Bible, fruits of the Spirit? Can I ask for tangible things? And I do think this is one of those passages that can get taken out of context so easily and give rise to something like the prosperity gospel, where God wants you healthy, wealthy, happy. Well, what do you do when that is not the situation? What what is your faith based on if that's really where you're landing? And that's not the invitation here. Uh, I think the answer is nuanced. And it requires us to be open-handed and open-hearted, which can be so hard, y'all. It causes us to ask questions like, what will the Lord bring? Do I really trust that God knows what is best for me? Will he disappoint me? Will he say no? What will he do with my questions? What will he do with my desires? And for some of you who have hard relationships with your parents, this might even be even harder to stomach. Um, but I would just invite you to stick with me because um, the Heavenly Father is just, he's heavenly, he's different. He wants something more for us. So then we look at verses nine and 10, which can kind of sound weird, this kind of this contrast of 
okay, if we ask for bread, a stone, if we ask for a fish, a snake. But I think both of those parallels have in common something that's sustaining life-giving and something that's totally not or just harmful. Um, and I think if you are in a season of deep grief, it just doesn't even sound true. And you might even be thinking, Elizabeth, I've asked for bread. I've gotten a stone. I've asked for a fish. And I've gotten a snake. My request or desire was met with pain, confusion, and what felt like silence. Um, there's a term that I came across reading a long time ago, and it's the term reluctant experts. And I think we all, even if you're not in a season of deep grief right now, I think you could all, if you slow down and think about it, you're all in a, you've all been reluctant experts on something. Maybe you've had to navigate some kind of painful season, a painful relationship, a painful experience. Could be a prolonged season of waiting. Um, it could be something like job loss, divorce, sickness, watching a friend or family member struggle. And the list goes on and on of how the brokenness of this world has touched us and acquainted us painfully with the sorrows of this world. And I am a reluctant expert on miscarriage. Um, I told y'all at the beginning that I have three beautiful girls, but what I didn't say is I've actually been pregnant six times. Um, three of our pregnancies have led to these girls, and three have led to total heartbreak. And I'll just, the silence in the ultrasound room, when a heartbeat is not heard, that's just, ooh, something I would never wish on anyone. Um, all three of these times, it was just a total shock. I had no physical symptoms. I'm not high risk. Um, they were between our girls. It didn't even, there wasn't a pattern to follow. And one of them was a miscarriage at 18 weeks and we lost our little boy, David. And we were so excited to have a boy. Um, I grieved really deeply and painfully after that one. Um, sometimes quietly sometimes very loudly, <laughs> um, lots of tearful prayers before the Lord. And I would just encourage y'all, if any of you are there in that pain and confusion, the Bible is full of things that I did not know we could say to God. And the Bible and his word and what we've been given can hold the weight of that grief. Um, I think of David all through the Psalms questioning what the Lord was up to. Um, in Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? We had friends who came alongside us, and this, this one girl told me this verse in Lamentations 3, which I'd always known as the um, chapter that has the verse about his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's my favorite hymn. Um, but she encouraged me to back up before that, and there is a verse that says, he has broken my teeth on gravel. And I just, she actually was like, that verse really meant a lot to me. And if you've been in grief, you're like, oh yeah, it does. Because that is how I felt. I felt pushed from behind into gravel. Like, didn't even catch myself. I didn't even think I had to brace myself. Um, so I would just encourage y'all. He can, he's given us his word. It's full of people who have gone long before us, who have wrestled and struggled and said very honest things that we can go back to. Um, so over time, that desire for a third child just didn't go away, and I continued to pray for it. A lot of times I demanded it. I thought, you owe me. I mean, I've been through the ringer here, and so I started 
by demanding. Uh, then I went through a season where I just didn't want to ask for anything at all. Um, I felt too vulnerable. I didn't want to even engage it. Uh, but over time, my heart did open back up. And I really had to wrestle with the question that we've been talking about through this whole Sermon on Mount that Cindy referenced. Seek first his kingdom. And I really had to ask, whose kingdom am I seeking? Um, we also heard it from Sarah John last semester when she talked about the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And there's a verse that I've long gone to, Romans 11:36, that says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. And I think if I'm seeking his kingdom first, then that verse really gives me a lot of peace. It's a place to land. It's all-encompassing. Um, if I'm not seeking his kingdom first, then I'm constantly wondering why he is allowing different things in my life, in someone else's life. Um, funny tangent on Romans 11.36. At one point, I made that my password for every every account that I had. Like, I just really want to remember Romans 11.36. So it's going to be my Gmail and my bank account. And I remember sharing that with the Bible study and all these women being like, oh, Wow, I love that. I bet you're thinking that all the time. And then I told my husband, and he was like, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. We are, we are changing that password. We're not doing that. But that has been a verse that I've gone back to time and time again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And y'all, we can wrestle with that. We can fight that. We can deny that. We can numb out from that. It's still true. It just is. Uh, there's a quote that I love from Tim Keller that says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. So wherever your heart is, if that feels vulnerable, if that feels encouraging, just remember the access that we have as we seek his kingdom first. So then we have verse 11. And um, when it's talking about, let me Flip back and read it for y'all real fast. So this verse, I think this is just the crux of the passage. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father or your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Um, I think of what an amazing invitation that is. I love that it ends with an exclamation point. It's not a question. He's not asking us to consider it. He is telling us how much more will he give us good gifts. Um, and going back to that idea of the reluctant expert, just thinking that Jesus is saying these words, but then think about what he was the reluctant expert in. He, he asked his father to take the cup from him. He did, you think of that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not just eagerly, walking to his death. He was reluctant too. He did not want, he knew the weight of it. He did not want to enter into that, but he did. He became a reluctant expert alongside of us. Um, we are not alone. It's just amazing to me that Jesus would speak of his own father that way, knowing what lay ahead for him, his own death on the cross. And thinking of Jesus's first public words in Matthew 4, 17, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's talking about himself. He is near. He is near to us. All right, we are going to just finish up thinking about the golden rule. So that's at the very end of our passage. 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is summing up many passages before ours as well. But it just is really inviting us into that upside-down kingdom and a reordering in some of the ways um, that they, all these people had to follow countless laws. When it talks about the laws and the prophets, Jesus is just simplifying this for them. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And we've heard it described in other passages. In Mark 12, it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think so, on, so often, if we are really honest, we love ourselves first, then others. We include God last when things get really hard, when they get really messy. We kind of feel at the end of our rope. Um, and the golden rule is a reorientation. It is causing us to think of others first. And we can only do that if we are seeking first his kingdom. That's where we start. We start with that repentance. We start with that curiosity. We start with that humility. And we have to let our priorities flow from that. Only then, as Chuck DeGroat said, will we be propelled into others' lives in the way that he intends. He wants us to make peace. He wants us to ask things that extend his kingdom. And he wants us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these topics that are hard and big, and you, you are here with us, Lord. You can work in us. Lord, I just pray for these table conversations that we all get to have now, just that there would be real openness, there would be real honesty, Lord, and I, I do pray specifically if there is any peacemaking that needs to be done, that you would just place that on women's hearts as they go forward into their weeks, Lord. Thank you that we are your children, that it is your work, and that we just get to be a part of it. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.